This is the Clinical Takeaway podcast from HealthEd, where we interview leading medical experts on important topics that can positively change the way you practice. Here's your host, GP and medical educator, Dr. David Lim. HealthEd's face-to-face seminars are starting up again in 2022. And we hope that you will be able to join us for a day of high quality learning with a lineup of great speakers and important topics in women's and children's health. I'll be chairing a number of these events and I look forward to seeing you there. Register at healthed.com.au. Dr. Sarah Catford emphasizes that male preconception health is far more than just performing a semen analysis. It is an important time for GPs to assess and manage adverse lifestyle issues, cardiovascular risk factors, and the patient's mental health state. All of these will affect fertility, and some may impact on the offspring's future health. Dr. Catford, tell us about yourself. Well, thanks for the introduction, David. I'm an endocrinologist and an andrologist, um, so I've subspecialised in male reproductive health, and I work at a few public hospitals in Melbourne. Um, I live in the country, and um, so I'm quite passionate about kind of regional, you know, rural health, and I really enjoy the outdoors. Oh, bushwalking or running? Well, bushwalking and running, except um, I have two small children who are my excuse. So I do very little running at the moment. (laughs) Oh, that's wonderful. Now, Sarah, we're looking at male preconception health today. So maybe I would just ask you to tell us how important is it uh, in terms of fertility issues to look at male preconception health? Well, it's really important because we know that there are lots of lifestyle factors that can affect a man's potential Um, or ability to conceive and may affect not only potentially sperm quantity, but probably more so the quality of sperm. So it's really important to address these lifestyle factors, you know, ideally before um, or at the time of preconception planning and to have a discussion with the man about um, what these factors are and how they may affect um, fertility for him. So kind of general, pretty straightforward ones would be those that many doctors are familiar with. So obviously smoking and alcohol in big quantities are bad for sperm not only sperm quantity, but as well as the sperm quality, so sperm motility and morphology, Uh, various recreational drugs um, such as marijuana, a sedentary lifestyle being overweight and a poor diet. Um, So it's really a time, an opportune time to to kind of bring the man to attention and ask about these factors. And, and the, the way or the mechanism by which they affect um, fertility is, is probably not totally known and explained, and it will vary depending upon the factor. Um, but a common uh, mechanism is that many of these factors um, are thought to cause oxidative damage or stress to sperm. And sperm are very sensitive and they lack, they don't have the kind of... Um, this, the content, the kind of cellular content to be able to repair a lot of damage once they've matured. So they take on a lot of damage and it's um, obviously can affect their, their function. 
And it's not just about, um, well, there's obviously fertility there, you know, plays a big role, but a man's kind of general health and lifestyle is also important for the health of offspring because we know that there are studies demonstrating that the health of parents at the time of conception um, can influence the health of their children and in particular obesity and its effects on um, cardiovascular risk in offspring, which is really interesting and it's becoming a lot more appreciated now and that's in part through this kind of epigenetic um, effect, which is the way environmental factors can can change or affect gene expression um, and that can be inherited or passed on to offspring. Actually, that's very interesting to hear, to hear you say that, Sarah. It's not the family history of cardiovascular disease that increases the risk. You're saying that even now, parental obesity increases cardiovascular risk. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. I think, yeah, I mean, like now there's just, there's so much research in this area, like this whole epigenetic kind of phenomenon and the realisation that all these kind of like exposures at the time of um, well, when the gametes are developing, but also obviously in utero exposures, um, clearly when the woman's pregnant, that's something that can affect offspring health kind of trajectory, but even as far back as the health of the man, you know, at conception. So it's really quite remarkable and how, you know, the sperm can be affected by things like obesity, which is obviously such a big problem now for us. I'm just hearing what this important message you're saying, listen, GPs out there, if, if a couple comes in looking at fertility issues, really for the men and possibly for the women as well, but certainly for the men, it is not just sperm quantity and quality, it's his whole lifestyle. It's, his, it's, it's what he is at risk of that puts his fertility also at risk. And that it's actually a very good time for us to tick off um, all the issues that we need to address uh, from lifestyle to cardiovascular risk factors, obesity, diabetes. So uh, you're really saying that um, this is a time for us to give them a full and comprehensive assessment. Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. That's a great summary. And it's not, I think for many, you know, it may be for many men that they get a semen analysis and it's normal and they kind of feel like they're off the hook and mm -hmm. there's, that's it. But actually okay, we know that semen analyses are not the be-all and end-all. Like they do provide a good kind of indicator of, uh, you know, um, how fertile a man is, but not, you know, it doesn't tell you anything about sperm function and how healthy the sperm are. I mean, the sperm morphology, which is um, one of the parameters measured on a standard analysis, is, is kind of a marker, kind of bio, you know, a surrogate marker of sperm function. But it's it's you know, well known within the field that it's really not a good marker of sperm function. So I think even if you're, you know, if you if you have a couple and the man has done a seam analysis and it's normal and he's and you may probably haven't done hormones, but just say you have and they're normal and he's just like, oh you know, I'm all good. I think it's still important to say, well actually, you know, it's still, you know, necessary for you to think about, you know, your diet and and you know reduce your cigarettes or stop stop smoking if you can and all, all those kind of things. I, I, that is such an important message because you really what you're talking about is not just helping the man with his fertility issue you're also asking him to improve his health but not just for himself it's a transgenerational benefit yeah exactly so 
Are there other things you might advise men to do before trying for pregnancy, uh, apart from addressing lifestyle issues and keeping away from smoking, alcohol and recreational drugs? Aside from those things, I think it's a, you know, it's probably a good idea for a man to just touch base with his GP really and just, you know, this is an opportunity because I, I, I can imagine in general practice that men are hard to come by. Like young men don't frequently attend or present to GP practices. Um, but, you know, there are some, obviously it's an opportunity to educate, etc. cetera. Um, but I think particularly if a man has other health issues or is on regular medications, um, I think, Obviously, the, the smoking, the alcohol, you know, having a healthy diet, doing regular exercise, that's all important. But also, you know, going through kind of taking a thorough medical history to ensure that there's no kind of undiagnosed diabetes or something and, and just going over his regular medications to um, make sure that they, they're not going to have any effect um, on fertility. And then I'd probably say that lastly, it's important to discuss um, kind of sexual function um, and to be open about that because um, I've met a lot of couples where, you know, for many, in many cases, um, the man has difficulty with erections or even with ejaculation. And actually, he may well be quite fertile, um, but they're not able to have, you know, intercourse properly or they, um, and that might be embarrassing for some people to discuss, um, particularly for men. Um, so, I think it's really good to have that open discussion and ask them if they have any particular concerns and specifically ask about erectile function and ejaculation. So um, because it's um, often they don't, you know, they don't volunteer that information. So you kind of need to ask um, directly um, and not just about erections, ask about ejaculating as well. I hear all that and we can identify these issues. Uh, but I guess being an andrologist, having identified it, do we expect then that once we refer on these issues will be dealt with uh, rather than the fact that GPs need to develop a whole new set of skills? Yeah, I think that's that's yeah, a good point. Um, so they, sh they will be addressed um, when they get referred on. But I think... Um, you know, if you happen to have a couple that, oh, we're thinking about, you know, um, we want to have a baby, I think that might be the time to say, okay, great, it's just a few things um, to check off, you know, the you know, standard history. And by the way, are there any issues, you know, having sex? Is that all, you know, like I think just to and it just get a bit of an idea um, from the beginning and then and that might, I guess, you know, to like affect your um, referral pathway you, if, if, if the man's having, you know, issues in a particular area. Yes, I think I think it's wise now. I, I can see three levels of thinking, uh, Sarah. Let me see if I get it right. We tend to be fixated about sperm quantity, sperm quality and morphology. That seems to be in the past where our focus lies. You're saying, okay, whilst that's important, there are other issues to look at. Let's go one step back. The next step back is, are you actually functioning okay? Are you ejaculating? Do you have problems there? Just looking at those function. And then one step further back, which is, now let's have a look at how good your general health is because this is really very important as well. So really you're asking us to take a three level look at the patient. Yeah, I think that's a brilliant summary. Yeah. Good. Now, you mentioned the role of medications and what it could do. So I, I will ask you in a minute, what sorts of medication should we be concerned about that a man is taking? We know about what women should not be taking. 
And the second is, are there dietary or supplements out there that both either help or hinder? So I might, I'll answer the last part of that question first. <laughs> so that was about dietary supplements like multivitamins. So this is um, it's quite a big area and it's attracted a fair bit of controversy or not so much controversy, but confusion about what actually should men be doing. And there is, of course, the um, men equivalent of Elevit, which is Menovit. And there are lots of other kind of multivitamins on the market that are targeted towards, you know, optimising sperm health and sperm function. And the question is, do these actually work? Do they improve semen parameters? Um, do they improve, you know, pregnancy rates? And there's been a lot of studies on this topic and there have been, you know, there's been a Cochrane review as well and various meta-analyses. And at this stage, um, we don't have robust evidence from randomised, you know, controlled trials, which are the gold standard, to recommend any particular vitamin or multivitamin. So it's a, you know, whilst there is, there are case, you know, observational studies or uncontrolled studies um, indicating that these might be helpful in improving this particularly sperm quality, at this stage, there's actually no good evidence to support their use in unselected men. So the whole rationale for the multivitamins is that they um, have antioxidant activity and this might you know, reduce the oxidation or reduce the oxidative stress on sperm, and therefore improve the quality of sperm. So there is kind of talk of if you have select out particular men who have lots of DNA damage in their sperm, which is a very subspecialised thing, obviously GPs aren't going to be doing that, I don't even do that, then perhaps in those selected cases it might be useful. But I think um, when I see, when I meet a man and he says, should I take men of it? I usually say, look, there's no hard evidence. Um, but for many men, they like to be taking something. They feel like that, you know, it's something they can do, you know. And so I don't really have any problem. I say it's up to you. Um, if you feel better, take it. Um, but probably the most important thing is maintaining a healthy, well-balanced lifestyle. And I remember meeting one man who was like smoking, you know, 20 cigarettes a day and he's taking men of it. And um, he's like, well, but I'm taking men of it. I'm like, yes, but it's probably better if you just, if you actually stop smoking. I don't think the men of it's going to negate the smoking effects. Um, so it's not a substitute. So do all the other stuff. And then if they really want to take it, that's, you know, fine. I think there's a very clear message for us. And of course, uh, in the many years past, zinc used to be something uh, patients themselves would look for in oysters and things like that. Yes. The following message is a community service announcement. I'm Professor Andrew Sindoni, cardiologist at Concord Hospital in Riot Hospital in Sydney. I'm talking today about the fact that we may be missing aortic stenosis in primary care. New prevalence data actually shows that many severe symptomatic people with aortic stenosis in Australia go undiagnosed or untreated. The prevalence of symptomatic severe aortic stenosis in Australia is about 60,510 people, but only 7,073 of those with people with severe symptomatic aortic stenosis receive aortic valve replacement. Certain factors do increase the risk of developing aortic stenosis, and it's what we see every day. Advancing age, people over the age of 65, cardiovascular risk factors like hypertension, diabetes, cigarette smoking, and other conditions, chronic kidney disease, coronary artery disease. If we don't think about aortic stenosis, we're not going to find it. 
So if someone reports these sorts of things, grab your stethoscope. Have a listen to their chest. Maybe you haven't listened to their chest for a long time or ever because they've you know, not come to you very often or they come with other reasons. This is a condition in which we can intervene. We can make a difference with surgical aortic valve replacement and nowadays with modern therapies with transcutaneous aortic valve implantation. This has now been extended to older people who previously would have been felt to be not suitable for surgery. You say, oh, that person's old and you know, they're not going to survive an operation. This is not a general anaesthetic operation necessarily. It's a procedure which is done under sedation and local anaesthetic in the femoral artery. And this can make a huge difference to symptoms and survival, keeping people out of hospital and really make a difference to their quality of life. If you think someone has aortic stenosis when you listen to their heart, or if they have those symptoms of shortness of breath, fatigue, syncope, chest pain, if you listen to the heart and you hear a murmur, either refer them for an echocardiogram or send them to see their cardiologist. Listen, suspect, refer. Now, what about medications that can be harmful? So this is a good question. And there are obvious medications that, of course, most doctors are very well, are very familiar with. So clearly anabolic steroids um, are, will suppress sperm production. And there, it's amazing how, how commonly they're used. So men will access them online through the gym or they'll go to these sports clinics where it'll be prescribed off-label, which is quite extraordinary. extraordinary. Um, so, and then, of course, exogenous testosterone clearly can't, is not going to you know, be feasible for a man who wants fertility. Other medications, I suppose, are going to be pretty obvious, like we bad for the sperm, such as chemotherapies or you know, monoclonal antibodies or some of the rheumatology medications um, like or um, immunosuppressants like mycophenolate or methotrexate or azathioprine. I think, you know, if, look, if I would have to often look up a particular medication, I'm not going to be worried about kind of the, the bog standard general medications. It's going to be those medications that are kind of more unusual um, that you go, like, okay, I, I might just check that. I actually recently was asked a question about statins and their effect on um, men's fertility and if they needed to be stopped at conception. And I must admit, I wasn't aware of anything about statins, so I had to do a bit of, a bit of research. And basically the take-home message is that you do not need to stop a statin, you know, whilst or if a man wants to conceive. So there was concern that um, obviously cholesterol is important for lots of, you know, cellular membranes, et cetera, um, that it might affect sperm, you know, the health of the sperm and the function of the sperm. But in fact, it doesn't appear to, to affect sperm. So I can tell you that about statins. I, I, the only other kind of um, class of medications that might be relevant really are the antidepressants and um, like the SNRIs and the SSRIs. Um, the main side effect from them really um, is, um, is delayed ejaculation. Um, so they actually often used for men with premature ejaculation. So that's not so much, uh, that's not going to interfere with fertility. It might just take them longer to ejaculate. They very, very rarely would cause an ejaculation, which is when a man can't ejaculate at all. I, I haven't ever come across that, but I imagine there are, there probably will be cases. So that's why, you know, asking about ejaculation just to ensure they are ejaculating, that's important. And thinking about um, if a man's on an antidepressant, um, you know, could that, could that be contributing to his ejaculation problems? And the other kind of class of medications um, would be potentially finasteride used for um, alopecia. There's been 
that's not entirely clear how that may, if that will impair man's fertility, but there is a bit of mixed data on that. So, yeah, that's probably pretty much all I have to say about medications really. Thanks, David. Uh, That's an important list for us to have. A different question, uh, Sarah. What about assessing? Just gently, you know, I, I, I think they're here to see a GP for an important stage of their life where they're going to move forward and have family. But sometimes, um, you know, we really just need to assess how that particular relationship is anyway at that point in time and whether or not issues such as unseen conflict can affect fertility. So like domestic kind of issues within the couple, yeah, and how that could affect a man's fertility. Or, Or fertility in general, but in this case, men's fertility. Yeah, I think the effect of mental health problems and stress on a man's um, kind of gonadal function probably shouldn't be underestimated because unlike females, I mean, testosterone is quite, it seems to be very like sensitive. So we know that men in hospital, when they're acutely unwell, Mm -hmm. access, the hypothalamic pituitary gonadal axis is kind of suppressed, it's shut down. So you would never measure a testosterone level in a man who's like really unwell or, you know, even even like the, you know, flu, like, of course, COVID, like, you know, the testosterone is going to be low. But it's also um, been observed that testosterone is affected by stress and trauma and depression and and some mental health stresses. And I I, certainly if you've got that axis being suppressed, that axis is also important for sperm production. So it it may or may not go hand in hand, the testosterone with sperm. And of course, um, stress may also affect um, um, uh, sexual performance and ability to to carry out intercourse. I know it affects, you know, with stress in women, prolactin levels go up, but I didn't realise how sensitive uh, men's testosterone levels are to stress. Now, we are seeing many men and women going into their not the first relationship. And so the age of the parent is getting older. Are there any problems with fertility uh, and offsprings associated with older fathers? Yeah, so that's a that's an important question. And it's not definitely not something that we've I've ever been taught. I've just kind of stumbled across it and read read papers on it and um and similarly my colleagues I think now everyone's kind of tuning into this important issue that because we've been so fixated with the the women's age the woman's age that we've forgotten about the man and just because a man produces sperm throughout his lifespan doesn't mean that that sperm is going to be any good when he's 60. So there there is now um data um indicating that the age of the father is important and that it can affect um, his fertility. And that age, although it's pretty, you know, it's obviously a spectrum, it's not a hard line, but it seems to be men over the age of 40 where that those effects are do become more um, relevant or more common. And so I suppose at this stage it's not very clear whether the effects on fertility might be due, are due to the ageing itself or whether they're due to the accumulation of health problems as a man gets older. So that's hard to tease apart because, yeah, as you can, of course, I'm sure the listeners would understand. 
But yeah, so there is there is data to suggest that above the age of 40, um, a man's age does affect fertility, and that could be through reduced circulating testosterone because there is an age um, decline in testosterone. It, it, it has been shown to affect or reduce um, men who are older have the quality of sperm is poorer and even the quantity of sperm may be, may be less. And the DNA integrity of sperm, it's more prone to damage and it, and it can accumulate more damage. Um, and so there is um, lower fertility in older men. There also appears to be an increase in pregnancy associated complications like miscarriage and preterm birth. And the success rate in an IVF, IVF cycle is lower in men who are older. So you know, they don't do as well in IVF as the younger, younger men. And then we know that there is also um, an increase in some health problems in the offspring of older men. And I would never say, I probably wouldn't really ever say this to anyone because it doesn't, you know, it sounds a bit kind of scary, but it's all, all observational, of course. But there seems to be a link between um, high rates of schizophrenia and dwarfism, as well as um, I think bipolar as well. So it's a bit, they're a bit kind of random, but there are, there is that link um, there with the health of the offspring as well. Wow. Uh, and this is in parents who actually may not have a mental health issue at that time, uh, just purely from paternal age. Yes, that's correct. There does um, appear to be um, this link, even in those without um, a psychiatric history or without a history of dwarfism. Um, however, I would stress that, that, you know, the evidence is based on kind of observational studies. So it's not something I would ever say, I think, because okay. I think it would be, you know, could come across really well, negatively, obviously, you know, if you've got an older couple, I would, um, but I would probably, what I would say is if, you know, to a couple, I suppose at the, in the primary care setting, if you do have a man who's um, older, is yeah. just to say that, you know, as you get older, it's even more important that you look after yourself because um, the eight, we know that men who are older, there is some decline in fertility. So maybe you can use that as a way to say, so it's even more, you know, be yep. better if you could, you know, stop smoking or something. Yeah. At the same time, maybe also gently encourage that if you want a child, do it sooner rather than later. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What about chromosomal issues? I mean, uh, we know that uh, maternal age has a lot to do with chromosomal issues. What about in the male? It's difficult to um, answer that question, but I think you're right that part of what I mentioned previously, as a man gets older, the quality of sperm, the DNA integrity of sperm is not so good. And I think that play, that's also linked with the high risk of chromosomal abnormalities within the sperm, so aneuploidy within the sperm, and, um, and that risk is certainly greater as a man gets older. A question just come to my mind, and I'm sure it's a difficult uh, one to answer, but have you read any uh, articles that looked at long COVID or COVID complications uh, in male fertility? That is a good question. I actually did come across something recently, and I can't really remember the content, <laughs> but I think there, there is some valid concern. I think it was from memory, it was um, perhaps a change um, in even the seminal fluid. So I think that's a very good point because 
you know, we know actually from other viruses or um, other infections, they, there may well be some long-lasting effects within the genitourinary tract um, with the, the kind of the accessory glands that obviously make up part of the seminal fluid. And, of course, um, viral infections um, may cause orchitis. Actually, that is what I read. I think it was that um, orchitis in COVID, and that perhaps acute COVID, is, um, can happen. And obviously in that situation, there may be damage to the testicular architecture itself, which could have long-term effects on fertility. I guess the reason why I'm asking, Sarah, is that, of course, these days we do see a lot of younger people and younger men getting COVID. And, and, and maybe it's whether or not it's worth just having a discussion how long the body might take to fully repair itself before they're good to go, or it doesn't matter. You might just get pregnant anyway. It doesn't cause a problem. So I, I guess uh, those are the things in my mind. How would you counsel a man who's just had COVID not long ago, intending to have a child soon? Mm, that's a good question. So definitely any kind of febrile illness, um, which, you know, almost certainly would include COVID, transiently um, disrupts and reduces spermatogenesis. And that could be either through direct kind of damage to the testes themselves, um, or it could be through the um, higher up, through the hypothalamic pituitary gonadal axis. I think at the moment we don't have the data to be able to really give um, good um, evidence-based um, counselling on this topic, but I think I would be saying, I, you know, you need to, I, I, wouldn't, I would say wait, basically, and in terms of how long to wait, the effects of febrile illnesses may um, last up to three months um, on, you know, sperm, sperm output, um, and the life cycle of a sperm is, is three months. So it takes about 64, 74 days for a sperm to fully mature. So I suppose if you had a couple where time was not of the essence, then I'd be inclined to say, look, you know, we don't, we don't really have the data on this, um, but why not give it, you know, three months? That way you'd be pretty safe. You'd have a whole new fresh lot of sperm that haven't been, haven't been exposed to the virus. Now, look, you've taught us a lot about uh, what we might need to do for a male before uh, conception. I might ask you to either summarise it or to give our GP listeners uh, the key messages. Okay, I think the key messages is that um, take the opportunity to um, engage with the man when you have a couple presenting to you to talk about family planning. Um, I think it's really important to, and you can do this pretty quickly, I think, just um, like David mentioned, you get an idea of the dynamic within the couple, take a brief history, medical history from him, work out if he's on any medications, think about medications that, oh, does that sound a bit odd? Is that a bit weird? Maybe I'll look that up. And social history is really important. So you need to be asking about all those environmental exposures that we know are not good for sperm. And, uh, and specifically ask about any concerns um, in the bedroom, so with sexual performance, so um, and, and really ask them about erectile and ejaculatory function. If they have any concerns, I think that's, um, that's an important conversation to have. Sarah, that was really helpful. I thank you for your time. No problem. Thanks, David. Just a quick reminder as we wrap up to encourage you to register for the next webcast where you can always catch a high-quality lineup of speakers and topics that HealthEd has put together for you. 
HealthEd webcasts are carefully created to provide high-quality video and audio so that you have the best possible learning experience. It's free, you get CPD points, and it's all delivered directly to the digital device of your choice, wherever you choose to be. Register now at healthad.com.au. You can claim RACGP CPD points for listening to this podcast using the self-claim option. Log into your account on the RACGP website, go to the CPD section and click on self-claim.